This week on the podcast, we really wanted to talk about mental health. We are in the midst still of the coronavirus outbreak here in the United States, and there is a lot of grieving going on collectively. And when it comes to women's health, we are always worried about our mental health. Everything is tied together. Please join me for this podcast episode in conversation with Danielle Massey. Danielle is a therapist. She's my personal therapist. She is a wonderful leader in the world of mental health here in the city of Philadelphia. And I hope that you gain some tips and tricks from Danielle to help you out during this time. Enjoy. Please note we are on a Zoom conference call. The audio got a little bit hairy for us. So bear with us. We couldn't be together in person, obviously, because of social distancing. And I appreciate you guys hanging in there with us for the sound. Thank you for joining us today, Danielle. I think especially during this time, we are in great need for a specialist like you who can talk to all of us about sort of the mental health symptoms or the things that we're feeling right now due to the coronavirus. There are so many women in our Bento community that have been impacted and getting your expertise, I have no doubt will help quite a bit. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm Danielle Massey. I'm the owner of the Wellness Collective, which is a holistic healing and psychotherapy center in Center City, Philadelphia. And like everybody else doing mental health right now, our practice is entirely on telehealth. We're doing everything over the computer now. So this is a really interesting time for everyone, I think, with the shifts that have been made and how we're addressing mental health as a whole. Definitely. Danielle is my therapist, so just FYI. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I had met her somewhere else prior to getting to know her as my therapist. And yeah, it is interesting to see the shifts that we're all going through. And before we started recording, we were talking about, it feels like we're all grieving in some way, or we're all feeling this flood of different emotions. And I'm just wondering, like, is this a normal response? Yeah, it's definitely a normal response. Anytime there's a loss, we go through a grieving process. It doesn't just have to be around actual death. It can be the loss of a relationship or the loss of your freedom. And I think for a lot of people right now, we're all going through the loss of something, whether it's contact with other human beings, especially for those of us who live alone, or the loss of the ability to have freedom because it can feel really scary to be isolated and not know how long that's going to happen. And so that very natural grief process kind of kicks in and takes over because that's just what our brains and our bodies are wired to do. Yeah. I think there, like you said, there is this collective grieving that we're all navigating. And I know for me, I think one of the hardest things is not being able to see family. You know, I happen to live close by to my parents, my sister, my in-laws. And, you know, while I do live with someone, my husband, you know, you miss that interaction. You know, you can see people via teleconference, which we're doing right now. But 
are there things that we can do to help with some of that? Like how can we still feel connected, but still, you know, not feel like you're staring at a screen all day or, you know, yeah, I've actually had this question come to me a lot of times recently because everyone's feeling this pull or not everyone, but I think most of us are feeling this pull. Yeah. Part of the reason why is because biologically we're wired for human touch. It's one of the ways that we communicate. So to not have access to that really messes with our attachment. And that's a huge problem for human beings. I mean, if we look at babies, if they don't get human interaction, their attachment actually might even cause them to die. It's yeah. so wired within us to need this and require it. So especially for the people who live alone, it's huge to feel like you're doing everything you can to connect in other ways. Another thing that I like to have people do is to make it feel a little bit more novel. So not having the same like sit in front of your computer like you do with work thing. Light some candles or make it feel like more homey, like bring a cup of tea. Something that'll make it feel a little bit more like okay, if I was at home with my mom, we would each get a cup of tea and there'd be candles going in the back and just make it feel more real in essence. I love that idea. That'll be good to practice on a family happy hour Zoom. If any of you are doing that. Exactly. (laughs) You know, I think it would be helpful too to understand like what are some of the feelings that coincide with grief? If you could break it down, I don't know if there are stages or if there are certain emotions that might come up for people to help identify it. Of course. So there's different stages of grief. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has five stages of grief. She has a whole book that outlines and details each one of those. And the interesting thing is that we don't all go through them exactly the same. We might spend some time in denial or we might jump right into feelings of intense sadness. It's different for everyone. And you guys can all look those up online and see if they identify with you. But the thing that I feel is even more pertinent is the emotions that go with them because we have two things that happen. We have the loss of things, which is the negative pieces, the negative symptoms, and then the addition of things, which are the positive symptoms. So for a lot of people, there might be some negative things like loss of interest in the things that we normally enjoy, loss of appetite, loss of sleep. And then there can be the addition of the positive things. So feelings of intense waves of emotion or feeling anxious, which within the body looks like so much energy within you that you don't really know what to do with it. Or in the most broad sense, a fear of the future, like not knowing what's going to happen or how you're going to have access to things, including people. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've been hearing about in our community you know, we have a lot of women who, you know, might be older. And in that bracket of that critical age group, so maybe you're like in your 60s or 70s. And I think, you know, when we're faced with death so abruptly with the pandemic, you know, although with life there is death and and we know that we're going to die, it is you know, very uncertain and scary for a lot of people. And I wonder if that that fear of death is what's stirring up a lot of emotion in people or can be nerve-wracking for those with underlying conditions or who are in a more susceptible cohort. 
Absolutely. And I think you know this about me already, but I suffered from cancer. And last year, as I was going through that, I felt that all the time, that fear of not knowing what's going to happen and just having to rely on other people to handle it and hope that it plays out. That feeling can be really debilitating. So I would imagine that those who are part of more vulnerable communities are really feeling that right now and feeling that loss of control or that sense of unfairness that this brings. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think another group that's been hit pretty hard, and we were talking about this before recording, but so all those couples or people who have been waiting to go through IVF for their, you know, end of March, April cycle, you know, all of those practices are pretty much shut down. And that's sort of a loss in and of itself. It's so different. You know, there's the loss of a job and the fear of, of our health, but then there's this other, all those other things that, that pop up too that you were planning to do in, in your daily life or um, for the future. And I just, I feel for a lot of those women who were impacted by the pandemic in, in that way. And we spend so much time planning out what our future is going to look like. And it might not be something that we talk about, but it's in your head. Somewhere within your mind, you're thinking to yourself, three months from now, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And for a lot of women, that might look like, you know, six months from now, I'll have my baby shower because Mm -hmm. we'll be pregnant by that point and I'll have a baby by December and things like that. And the loss of that future that you feel like you were supposed to have can feel really, really upsetting, deeply upsetting. And it's IVF and surrogacy. It's the loss of the ability to celebrate big life occasions like weddings or Mm -hmm. birthdays. It's very, very hard to feel like your whole future is sort of on pause right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely a control person, (laughs) Uh, which we talk about. But, you know, for those of us who like to try and control situations. This is probably like our worst nightmare because <laughs> we can't control anything that's happening. Yeah. But do you have any tips for us? I mean, there's no, there's literally like no end in sight, mm-hmm. right? Every day you feel like you turn on the news and there's no end. So for those of us who like to control, I would love some tips. Of course. So Obviously, this is something that a lot of people deal with, not just you. I'm sure plenty of the women listening to this (laughs) podcast today do. And whenever we have something that's out of our control, whether it's the situation with the pandemic or just not knowing how to get pregnant or it's not working for you or anything really, like not knowing your job future, the best way to go about it if control is something that's very important to you is to put that stuff to the side and go, okay, I can't control those things, but... What can I control? What are the things that I can do right now in this moment that give me some level of control? And then start doing as many of those things as you can possibly do. Once that ledger starts to balance where you feel like there's more things that you have control over than things that you don't, your whole nervous system starts to calm. It just makes you feel like you have a handle on something. I'm sort of like chuckling to myself because I just watched Frozen 2 this morning with my kids because we're stuck in the house. <laughs> and the people who write this stuff are genius. But I Olaf, know. right? I, Olaf said something about, this is called controlling what we can when things are out of control. And there's so much truth to that little quote. 
we control yeah. what we can things are out of control. And what we're doing is essentially we're switching our nervous system over from a state of fight or flight to one of rest and digest when we start to do things that make us feel like we have a handle on our life. So for control people, that's going to be controlling what you can. And all of a sudden, you'll notice those fears that you have or the racing thoughts, palm sweating, heart racing. will start to settle a bit, which is ultimately the goal and what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love when you bring up the fight or flight versus rest and digest because I definitely have that that natural instinct. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because we flight. all do. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, when we look at the research with like people hundreds of years ago versus people now, before we weren't in fight or flight nearly as much as we are now as human beings. And that's probably because we have access to too much information. Right. Because we have so much contact with other people. So we're constantly in a state of fight or flight when really, evolutionarily, that's supposed to be reserved for moments when we have a bear running at us. We're not supposed to feel that way all the time. And so learning to mitigate that and to bring yourself back to that resting state is key for anyone who feels levels of anxiety, which is likely most of us. Yeah. So what are some other ways instead of, because we've talked about this before too, instead of like tuning out, right? Doing an activity where you're just going to zone out and what are some things that we could do besides the ledger to help us sort of settle with those emotions or, you know, recognize them, feel them, and try to let go a little bit? Mm-hmm. The first step in that process is going to be to recognize when you're in a state of fight or flight. So if you guys all check in with yourself on a regular basis and notice when your heart rate increases or when you feel that tension in your neck and shoulders or back, when you start to feel your palms get shaky or sweaty, when you feel like you just need to move and you don't know why, or when you feel off and you can't pinpoint it, you're likely in a state of fight or flight. And so in order to stop the adrenaline and cortisol that are coursing through your body when you're in that state, you need to override the ability for those hormones to pump. And we do that through deep breathing. It's the easiest way to slow it down. And Susie knows I'm a big fan of box breathing. It's like my favorite because it works very, very well. Mm -hmm. Box breathing is when you inhale deeply for four, you hold that breath for four, exhale for four, hold the breath for four. And you just repeat that over and over and over again until you notice all those bodily symptoms stopping and you start to have everything go back to a state of homeostasis. When that happens, you know you're out of it. Generally, across the board, on the times where you're trying to avoid anxiety, you do things that just make you feel more at peace. So controlling what you can. For me, it's meditating. That's the way that I kind of keep myself centered. So anytime I start to feel the creeping in of those emotions, I just kind of tell my family, like, I'll be back in 10. And I go and I do a quick meditation and then rejoin the group. And that works really well. For other people, it could be things as simple as a mantra. Like, what is something that I can say to myself to make me feel more calm right now? Examples of those are things like, no one knows what's going on right now, and that's okay. I'm okay bracing the uncertainty. I'm completely embracing uncertainty right now. Or something like, everyone I know is going through this, and we're all going to come out of it together. Those little reminders just to calm the body down. Yeah. Breathing and breath work is a very calming process, but it's 
like you said, that first step of learning when to just check in with your body. So mm-hmm. maybe have certain points throughout the day, especially if you're working from home right now, like so many yeah. of us are, you know, maybe this is the time to allow yourself to build in those check-ins while you're working from home. And then, you know, you can feel when it creeps up. I think one of the triggers for me and for my husband has been just watching the news. So we don't really watch any news at night anymore because that's when I want to start to calm down for the day and feel relaxed. That's brilliant. Yeah. And just getting, I feel like just being outside if we can. Um, I know some people can't get outside right now and it's tough. Yeah. And if you're one of those people who can't get outside, even something as simple as sitting in front of a window can Mm -hmm. be hugely helpful because you're still getting a little bit of the fresh air coming in from the window, a little bit of sunlight on your face. It still isn't as good as going out, but it's better than nothing. So it's worth doing every single day. Absolutely. I think on our bento packs this month, it says like that just seeing the colors blue and green together can reduce anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. Sort of has like a natural calming effect. And it really does make a huge difference. And I think that's so good too that you mentioned just getting in front of a window because I know I'm sure a lot of us have parents or grandparents that are in perhaps nursing homes or retirement communities, and maybe they're not allowed out of their apartments or, or rooms. And that's really it's challenging. Hard. So this is a good little reminder for anyone who's listening. Yeah. Like, why? I have a huge clientele in New York City. They can't go outside because the second you're outside, you're kind of on top of someone. So it's impossible yeah. to practice social distancing. Mm-hmm. So for them, for sure, trying to sit in front of a window and just get that sunlight is hugely helpful. Yeah, it's a great tip. Another thing that I thought I want to talk to you about is, and this might be combined with the grief stages, but I felt like a couple times at the beginning of this and then over this weekend, like a wave of like feeling like I'm just going to cry or break down. And <laughs> I wonder if that's just maybe we're feeling vulnerable um, and maybe that's the emotion that I'm feeling. But I just for anyone else who's out there, is that a normal reaction? Yeah, of course. Anytime you feel the loss of something, your emotions are going to have that reaction within you. So my advice on that is feel your feelings. Don't try and stifle the tears. Don't try and stop yourself from going there. Instead, just let yourself feel it fully. Because once you do, once you let yourself have that moment where you go all in on those emotions and just let them course through your body, they're easier to transmute. Once Mm -hmm. it's happened once, your body doesn't necessarily need to have that release again. So you're kind of not sweeping it under the rug in essence, because if you keep pushing it down and not letting it happen, it's just going to build up. And when it does happen, it's going to feel like an explosion. Yeah. For everyone, if you feel something high or low, feel your feelings and then we'll clean it up afterwards and figure out what's going on for you. But you have to feel them fully. Mm -hmm. And sort of last thing before we wrap up, what are some of the benefits of therapy, cognitive therapy, psychotherapy, talking to someone? If you're out there listening, I think 
I personally always benefited from it. And, you know, I'd love to be able to help other people out there learn about the benefits and, and understand why it's such a great and the helpful practice. I mean, it obviously takes time to, to want to go and, and work on yourself or sit with someone. I feel like there's nothing better that you can do for yourself because when you get to understand who you are as a person and why you do what you do, every time that unfolds, it can be that aha moment where you're like, oh my gosh, that's why this is happening to me. It's been happening to me my whole life and I never recognized what that was about. Mm-hmm. Even for me, as I go deeper and deeper into my own practice of therapy, I find out more stuff about myself every single day. And all the emotions that I have or the way that I interact with people or myself, it starts to become this puzzle that I didn't necessarily have the pieces to before. I couldn't arrange them the right way. So just having someone else who's completely outside of me guiding me through that, it's life-changing. So I think for everyone, at least for a short period of time, investing in yourself because you're worth that. Yeah, I know it can be challenging sometimes if insurance doesn't cover it, but I do think hopefully we'll see more of that. And hopefully the, a silver lining of the coronavirus is the impact or the importance of preventative health. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, if- and I do think therapy is part of that, just mental health services. Yeah, if you're one of those people who feels like you're having trouble finding a therapist who accepts your insurance, there's a couple workarounds for that that most people don't know about. So tell us. Yeah. So (laughs) here we go. So one of them is that most locations throughout the country, especially if you're close to a city, have community mental health centers who offer low fee therapy. So like even at my practice, I have a therapist who's an intern. She's literally a month away from graduating who sees people for $30 an hour. So the cost of a copay. And I'm not the only one in the city. Yeah. And she's amazing. And her clients love the work that they do. And we're not the only place in the city that has that in the city of Philadelphia. There's the Council for Relationships and Mm -hmm. so many more. And it's like that across the country. Other things that you could do are to find out if your insurance will cover out-of-network therapy. Almost all do. And what they do is they cover a percentage. So you pay up front for your therapist and then they reimburse you at the end. So it could be 50% or even up to 90%. That's great. So you end up getting it cheap. And then the last one is that if you have a flex spending account or an HSA card, you can use that to pay for therapy sessions. Yeah. So they would cost nothing. That's awesome. Those are good tips because I think we often forget to really like dig in and, and figure out what our benefits are. I know um, I had no idea before I actually went into my own private practice. I never do any of those things and no one yeah. really advertises them. So just knowing yeah. what you're entitled to is really powerful. Yeah, it is. Very powerful. And one other question I've always wanted to ask you is, do women and or male, female, do we differ in our rates of depression, um, do women sometimes feel things more than men? Do you think this pandemic might take a greater toll on women versus men or vice versa or, you know, the same across the board? And obviously I'm very concerned about like our prenatal and postpartum population sort of being stuck in and isolated. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious what, you know, your expert opinion is there. 
Absolutely. So yeah, we suffer at a different rate than men as women. And the main reason why we suffer through it differently is not about our biology, but actually about the way that we're socialized. So it's really interesting. So men are taught to not experience their emotions. So sort of like what I was talking about before, where you kind of put stuff under the rug and don't deal with it. Mm -hmm. Men tend to have that be their primary method of handling emotions. So they do a lot of numbing activities and they don't address the way that they're feeling. And so when they do get to the point where the emotions need to come out, it is typically explosive, very messy, very intense. It can come out like rage. And that's the other piece to it is anger is both a primary and a secondary emotion. So when that anger does explode, it's very likely that they're not actually angry. That's just the emotion that they're more comfortable displaying. And underneath that is waves of sadness, grief, and depression. So the rates that it gets recorded that men experience depression are lower because they very rarely seek help for it. And it usually comes off as anger problems. So it doesn't get documented appropriately. So women tend to have higher rates of it, even though it's very unlikely that they suffer it more than men do. It's just the expression is different. The other piece is that women tend to take on way more emotional burdens in a family unit than men do. So when we experience something like, say, a miscarriage, the women bears the brunt of that loss. Mm -hmm. Or if one or both partners lose a job, women bear the brunt of that loss. They sort of very covertly take on the role of mental load bearer. And so when you take on that extra weight and you carry that more, the symptoms of depression get heavier and heavier. So it's important to always be releasing them out. Feel your feelings. Yeah. I feel like I see that so often, you know, not just family, but friends, that emotional load that, you know, women tend to take on. And that's why I think talking to someone is so helpful because you shouldn't have to carry all that (laughs) around with you. Yeah, I think of therapy almost as a way where you can take that huge load that you're carrying around and just share it with somebody. Mm -hmm. It's not so heavy anymore. Definitely. And I always like to end this way, but do you have a no one ever told me moment that you want to share with other women so that other women don't have to sort of like suffer or experience the same thing? that you did and this could anything that you feel hmm. I know it's I love tricky. that question <laughs> yeah that's a really intense question but I kind of love it you know no one ever told me that the secret to feeling good was within me and I think I spent my entire life looking for the external ways to feel better And it wasn't until maybe even a year ago that I had this paradigm shift and I started focusing my energy inwards on myself where I really went all in on my therapy, my meditation, my kundalini yoga, and all those practices that fill me up for me to realize I had the answers all along and I've become my own medicine. I wish someone would have taught that to me when I was young because it would have saved so much heartache and anxiety. But I guess learning it that way also was helpful because I can reflect back and go, glad I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, I love that one. Thank you, Danielle. And Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for joining us for the Up Your Glow podcast this week. I really hope this was helpful for some of you who have been suffering with anxiety, lack of control, the lack of being able to see your loved ones, grief that we are all suffering through collectively. And a reminder, please don't forget to reach out to us anytime. You can find us at my bento on Instagram. You can email us at upyourglow at mybento.com. And please don't forget to leave us your five-star review. Super helpful. And we will tune in in two weeks with Andy to review some of your frequently asked questions. Take care.